It is great to have our youth leading us in worship. Thank you guys very much. You guys, you guys rock. You're awesome. And hello to all of you out there in the Narthex, you mini church out there. It's awesome to have you guys with us. You're one with us, even though there's a little glass wall there. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would open up the Bible to us this morning. Help us to understand you better and follow you more. We pray this in your name. Amen. One of the best books on political theory that I've ever read is called Yertle the Turtle by the great 20th century theologian Dr. Seuss. And Yertle is the turtle king and he's ruler of everything that he can see, but he decides that his kingdom needs extending. I'm ruler, said Yertle, of all that I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. So he forces all the other turtles to stack one on top of the other so that he can climb to the top, see more things, and therefore be ruler of more things. My throne shall be higher, his royal voice thundered, so pile up more turtles. I want about 200. But it all comes to an end when the turtle on the very bottom, a plain little turtle named Mac, did a plain little thing. He burped, and that burp shook the throne of the king, and it all crashes down. And today, that great yurtle, that marvelous he, is king of the mud. That's all he can see. Now, there's really no good way to transition from that into the sermon. I've sort of worked myself into a place I can't get out of, so I'll just say we're all a little bit like yurtle, right? We all have this kingdom problem. Whether it's at work or whether it's in social settings, we are always just trying to claw our way to the top. Build our own little kingdom, always sort of elevating ourselves over other people. That's just kind of what we do as folk. A while back, a reporter was interviewing Don King, the boxing promoter, and King said, I never cease to amaze my own self. And I say that humbly. And the problem with all of that self-promotion is that it makes us miserable, just like it did Yertle. I get stressed out trying to extend my own kingdom, or I I get self-focused, which makes me feel lonely and then depressed, or I feel worried that something is going to happen to my kingdom because something always does, right? No matter how many great things you do at work, you can still always be laid off. No matter how many accolades you rack up, folks are always going to forget it. So whether you're Yertle the CEO or Yertle the PhD, you're always just one burp away from reality. It's like the Bible says, he who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's what Mary is getting at in this song that we just read that she sings when she finds out that she's going to be the mother of Jesus. And it's a pretty subversive song. All that talk about God overthrowing kings and and pulling down the rich and the powerful. Mary is talking about a social, economic, political revolution. Only it's not a violent revolution. Mary's talking about the upside-down kingdom of God where people with power and money voluntarily help those who don't have any power and who don't have any money and do that in a way that isn't condescending. And the only place that that revolution can start is inside of our hearts. As we learn to let go of pride in building our own little kingdom and instead begin to humbly follow Jesus and let him turn our little kingdom of self-promotion and pride upside down. And he does that. 
Life does that. Life has a way of just kind of reminding us to be humble from time to time. I think that's God's gift to us. Former heavyweight boxer James Tillis tells a story of arriving in Chicago as a young fighter and he puts his suitcase down on the ground and he looks up at the Sears Tower and he says out loud, I'm going to conquer Chicago. And when he looks down, his suitcases are gone. <laughs> Life has a way of reminding us to be humble. Right? That's what spouses are for, right? Right? When you start to think that you're all that and more, they can instruct you more properly, as can friends and family. Right? And that's a good thing, because Jesus wants us to be humble. But let me define that word, because I think when we hear the word humble, we, we sort of think of uh, sort of images of 90-pound weaklings who get run over by everyone else, you know, sort of, I'm a loser for Jesus, wouldn't you want to be a loser too, kind of a thing. And that is not humility, that's pathetic, and that's not what God calls us to be. God didn't call us to be pathetic for him. Mary was humble, but she was hardly weak. You know, she took on King Herod and won. She stared down the gossip in her town that would have been calling her names like adulteress or worse because she was unmarried and pregnant. She follows Jesus all the way to the cross, even when his male disciples chicken out and run away. Mary was not some quiet dormouse of a person. She was an Amazon warrior for God and she was humble. The two can go together. You see, humility is not about being a doormat. As C.S. Lewis puts it, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. Now, that doesn't mean that we let others take advantage of us. It certainly doesn't mean that we don't try hard, that we don't do our best in our careers, in sports, in, in whatever else. Right? To, to be humble means that we do work hard. It means that we do try hard. We just don't worry about the results and how they reflect on us. If we get the promotion in the corner office... Great. If we don't get the promotion in the corner office, great. It's up to God. You see, there's nothing wrong with achieving and, and being promoted. God is promoting Mary here. He has made her one of the most famous people in all of human history. That's a promotion. It's just that Mary didn't focus on that. She didn't force her way into it. She let God elevate her. She did what God wanted her to do and let God take care of her status. That's Humility. When I was a brand new pastor, after one of the very first sermons that I'd ever preached, the mother of a friend of mine pulled me aside, and, and she's kind of a non-expressive, kind of buttoned-up Presbyterian, not given to any dramatic displays of anything. And she pulled me aside, and she put one hand on my shoulder, she raised the other in the air, she closed her eyes, and said in this trance-like voice, I have a prophecy let God push you up, but never climb. And then she walked away. Alrighty then. <laughs> when I told my friend what his mom had done, his, my friend said, my mom did that? She never does that sort of thing. And her words stuck with me, and, and I tried never to climb. I didn't do it perfectly, but I tried not to climb. But I also had to learn that it works both ways. Because later on, when I was being asked to take on more responsibility in my former church, and, and yes, a promotion, I was kind of resisting it. And I told this story to a friend of mine, and he said, she was right. Never climb up, but don't climb down either, if God has placed you there. 
You see, humility is not about being a doormat. It's about letting God place you where he needs you and then using whatever prestige and power and influence you might have, knowing it comes from him using those things to serve others and to point to Jesus. In other words, humility is knowing that it's not about us. What are the first four words in the Bible? In the beginning, God. Okay, take that as a hint. Right? It doesn't say, in the beginning, Scott. Right? As much as I wanted to say that. It says, in the beginning, God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and what he's doing in the world. And humility is forgetting about self and getting on board with what God is doing and where God is going and pointing to him. And that's what Mary says in the first line of her song. In the original, the first line is, my soul magnifies the Lord. What a great word, magnifies. That's our job. Like a magnifying glass, our job is to magnify God, make him more visible in the world, rather than be consumed with self. And doesn't that sound liberating? Right? Not to always be worried about self, my needs, my wants. Instead of anxiously clawing our way to the top, we can just do our best, get on board with what God is doing in the world, point to him, and let God put us where he needs us, let God deal with our status. A while back, there was a quarterback at the University of Texas named Major Applewhite. A lot of you have heard of him if you're football fans, I'm sure. And he was the starting quarterback when he was a freshman, but then the coach benched him for a year in favor of a new quarterback that the coach had brought in. And the press tried to get Applewhite to complain about this, but he refused. Instead, he just supported the new quarterback. Well, during one game, the new quarterback threw three interceptions. And the fans started to boo the new quarterback, but Applewhite kept trying to get them to cheer him on. A few plays later, the new quarterback injured himself, so the coach put Applewhite back into the game after a year on the bench. His first play was an 80-yard touchdown pass. Not bad. When they went on, they ended up losing the game anyway, but only by two points, which given how far behind they were, was a minor miracle. So after that, Applewhite was the starting quarterback again, and he led his team to a, a championship victory. And after the championship game, a reporter was trying to get Applewhite to criticize the coach for having benched him for a year, but he refused. Instead, live on ESPN, Applewhite quoted a verse out of the Bible, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that in due season he may lift you up. And he said, God has lifted me up tonight. This is not about me. He said that live on ESPN before the censor could even bleep it out. <laughs> Suddenly there was God all over the place on the airwaves, right? And it made a big difference. A good friend of mine happened to be watching that interview that night. And a little while later, my friend's 10-year-old son got benched in, on his basketball team. And when you're 10, getting benched is pretty awful. Right? And my friend tried to console his son, but he couldn't. And then, then my friend remembered what Applewhite had said and, and quoted that verse to his son. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that in due season he may lift you up. And as soon as my friend said that, his son said, Say it again, Dad! And he wrote it down, the son wrote it down, put it up on his bedroom wall, even went and read the verse to his classmates to encourage them. Both Major Applewhite and this 10-year-old boy were humble. They worked hard, they did their best, they let God deal with their status, 
And in due time, God lifted them up. And when God did, they didn't take the credit. They didn't point to themselves. They pointed to God. They magnified the Lord and made him visible to the outside world. That's humility. And in case you're wondering what happened to the 10-year-old boy, the next game he scored 17 points and 9 rebounds. So God took care of him. Now, wouldn't you like to have the kind of freedom that they had? To be benched and still be at peace? To win a championship game and still be at peace? I mean, doesn't that sound liberating? Instead of being consumed with worry and stress as we try to build our own little kingdom, try to promote ourselves above others, this 10-year-old boy, this college quarterback, they worked hard, they did their best, they left the rest up to God and let God elevate them when God decided to do that. Doesn't that sound better than trying to be Yertle the Turtle, constantly promoting self? Now, it needs to be said that there's no way that we can be truly humble on our own. We, we need Jesus to help us do that because there is just something in us that always wants to promote self, right? Like the old story of the preacher who after church, when someone said to him, that was a good sermon, pastor, he said, thanks, devil already told me that. There's just something in us that wants to promote self. So if we're going to be truly humble, we're going to need Jesus to help us out. Jesus, who was hardly a weakling. Jesus, who launched the greatest human revolution ever in history and still is humble. And with his Holy Spirit living inside of us to, to give us the power to do this, we can be truly humble too and know the freedom that comes from that. Because Jesus knows how to do this. He wrote the book on humility. I mean, he was God, but he was willing to come to earth and be born in a smelly barn to poor peasants, he was able to speak whole worlds into existence with just one word when he was God, but as a human being, he had to learn to walk and talk. He had to go through school, all of that stuff, very humbling. You know, we get all amped up about things like career path and where are we on the organizational charts, but Jesus, you know, in God, in Jesus, God, who was the master of the universe, became a little tiny baby. Okay, that's a serious demotion. Christmas is a riches to rags story. Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. So this Christmas, will you be humble enough to admit that you're not perfect, that you need Jesus to forgive your sins? Will you be humble enough to ask Jesus for help because you know that without him, something's missing in your life? Will you be humble enough to, 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 to let him into your life, to not always have to be on top, to not always be clawing your way to the top and instead humble enough to serve others in his name from time to time. A friend of mine was getting on a plane a while back, and as he walked through first class, he could tell by their conversation that a group of people sitting in first class were all from the same company. When he got to his seat in coach, he noticed that the man sitting next to him was also from that same company as the guys in first class. So my friend asked, doesn't it make you mad that all those guys that work for the same company as you do, they're in first class, and you're stuck back here in coach. How'd that happen? The man said, it's simple. I own the company. <laughs> and then he went on to explain that he'd inherited the company from his dad, but when he took it over, everyone gave him a cold shoulder. Because his dad treated everyone like slaves. He'd give an order, they'd have to do it. His dad took all the best, and they got what was left over. So when the son took over, he decided that he was going to do things just a little bit differently. 
He was going to devote himself to his employees flourishing. He would serve rather than be served. So he decided that even though he was the owner, he'd fly coach so that they could fly first class. And my friend said the funny thing was he was the happiest guy on the plane. And can you imagine how different his funeral is going to be than what his dad's funeral was probably like? That's Christmas. That's what Jesus does for us. He flies coach so that we can fly first class. He gets born in a barn and has to die in a garbage heap to forgive our sins and reconcile us to God so that we could live with him forever in heaven. He takes the unfathomable stoop from heaven all the way down to earth just to get to you and just to get to me. That's humility. And no other God does that. Caesar, Napoleon, Stalin, Hitler, there have been many men who would be God, but only one God who would be man, and that's Jesus. And he did that for you, and he did that for me. So will you let him in? And humble yourself under his mighty hand, so that in due season he may lift you up. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would make it so, and we'll give you the glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.